Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley. This is a quick one-off where I was a guest on Radio Free Brooklyn's Queer State of Mind. I was asked to come on the show to promote my podcast, and the conversation became a lot more fun. It picks up mid-conversation where we are talking about racial discrimination in the workplace and employment. Welcome to Queer State of Mind, y'all. It's another Saturday, and we got all the girls here, honey. We got your supposed pop queen. We got your political queen, Miss Micah. We got your GQ, Mr. Jose. Also joining us is going to be Mr. Brad Bradley from the podcast Broadway Backbone and Mr. Jimmy Ramsey from AHF. So stay tuned. Well, anyway... Here's a little blurb here. So the U.S. court ruled that discriminating against dreadlocks during hiring process is legal. Yes. So if someone doesn't has a dreadlock right. and you decide you don't want to hire them because they have dreadlocks. So yeah, like the, the 11th say. U.S. Circuit um, Court of Appeals recently ruled against a lawsuit filed by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission against Catastrophe Management Solutions, effectively ruling that refusing to hire someone because of their dreadlocks is legal. I like, really? It's insane. You know, it's really odd considering that you know dreadlocks are like a racial characteristic, right? I mean, obviously, I know and religion. Religion. yeah, right, it's Rasta. You know, yeah. it's a religion, and ugh, it's gonna be interesting to see how far this goes up. I'm sure they're gonna kick this up to like a higher court because that makes absolutely no sense that you're right. allowed to discriminate based on dreadlocks. Now, as a man of pompadour from back in the day, Mr. Ramsey, you know when you had your little mm-hmm. Jimmy Neutron, <laughs> <laughs> he did, honey. When I met him, honey, he had a little hair. She was giving you a, a 1960s trade, honey, you know, <laughs> that your grandma used to be in the backyard, honey, with her, her, her loose stuff girl trying to hit on. As someone who actually has had several different types of hairstyle, what, what the hell? What do you think about that? Well, I think I don't think it's fair. I was just thinking about if there was some sort of a an equivalent with someone of another race or generally someone with non-African hair. And I, I haven't really, I can't think of anything. Right. You know, it's a, it's a unique situation. But what I was thinking about, when this type of thing will change, you know, we have social media. Yeah. We have a growing number of black judges and black lawyers and, and people who who know how these things work, who possibly, I'm sure, even know how more advanced uh, behind the scenes ways of getting laws changed and pushed. And I'm curious, I mean, even when it came to the, uh, whenever we were talking about the young man who was shot 20 times by cops, Mm. like, okay, Trayvon Martin came out. um, That was kind of the first big splash of this sort of thing. But at what point will it become public knowledge on how to to change these things? You know, uh, not so much petitions, but I I just don't hear like any real legal guidance from, from black professionals who are in the scene. I mean, they, they may say, we need to change the Congress. We need to change this uh, piece of, uh, of the legal, uh, you know, right. vote this way for the Senate, vote this way for the Congress. But on a lower level, all these black judges and black lawyers who know, who could t- teach the community, okay, this is what we need to do so that we can not be discriminated against because ha- for having dreads. Right. So Now, Jose, as the man with the best hair in this Stop. studio, you, come, come on True. Now. Come true, on now. No, that quaff is everything. Everything. I've been bald since I was 19, honey, no, back in 2011. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about that math. But, you know, and Mike used to have cornrows back in the day, girl. She did. And we will post the picture on Facebook <laughs> so y'all can see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it on Facebook and Chris to the mind so you can see. <laughs> so as a person with the best hair here, what do you think? I mean, it's completely bogus, and I don't think that it, it will be overruled at some point, whether if it's taken to the Supreme Court or the next week, you know, whatever court 
right. um, has to hear the case beyond it. It's just, it's something that's completely absurd. It's something that unfortunately, you know, people of African-American descent and, you know, Afro-Cuban or Afro-Latin suffer. Like this sort of conformity to be white right. to a degree. It's a sort of, you know, this woman was basically saying how she, when she went in for an interview at a law firm, she went in with her hair natural. They told her that it was unkept. Right. So it's it was one of those things where it's like, wow, so the way that my hair grows out of my head unkept. is unkept or unclean. Or I can't remember precisely what the words that were used. It's bogus. It's stupid. And well, as someone who is an avid lover of hair, of all uh, kinds of hair. First and foremost, yeah, because um, it's good quaff, honey. You know, I always like seeing people who have like interesting hairstyles, whether it be dreadlocks or box braids or, you know, or completely shave it bald. It's, you know, it's your choice and your prerogative of how you wish to wear your hair. Well, Jose's our local Fidel Sassoon. Gorgeous. Yeah. Now, but you know what's real? Go ahead. What's interesting is that in show business, you can get hired because of your hair all the time. You get hired mm -hmm. because of your weight. You can get not hired because of a zillion reasons. You're too fat. You're too tall. You're too dark. Your hair's too blonde. I mean, it's just, that's just norm. That's show business. You yeah. walk in and they're just like, nope. You know what I mean? And they completely judge you on something else. You're kind of used to that. You'll be like, you know, so it's... Absolutely. It's interesting. It's horrible that they're putting these rules on, but anyone who's ever been to an audition knows straight away they're judging when you When you walk everything. in, like, I've walked into auditions where I've killed it. I know. You know every now and then when I, my vocals are right, it were right, honey. I was, I was giving you everything I needed. <laughs> but you can tell that when you walk in, they're not going to hire you, but they like you. Well, speaking of Broadway... So, Mr. Brad Bradley from Broadway's Backbone Podcast is joining us. So, Brad, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Brad Bradley. I've been in seven Broadway shows and a bunch of off-Broadway shows. Name them all, please, because uh, the kids need to know who you are. Uh, most recently, I was in Billy Elliot. I was in the original cast with Spamalot, Annie Get Your Gun, People in the Picture, Steel Pier, did a Christmas Carol, and then a show called uh, Thou Shalt Not. Girl, how old are you? Steel Pier? Girl. Oh, I know. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and that was being able to be in the room every day with Kendra Neb and Susan Stroman and Scott Ellis was unbelievable. So it was a magical, I mean, in that show, it was just me and Kristen Chenoweth made our Broadway debuts. I mean, I was I was young, so. Just, just throw that out just there. Just throw that out there. I've had a great, incredible career as someone in the ensemble or in the chorus. And I think as I've been getting older, working with a lot of young performers, their dream is to be in the ensemble, but there's not a lot of education out there for it. Any type of even radio shows or, or interviews are always about the stars. So mm -hmm. I created this podcast that is about the people in the ensemble and which are Broadway's backbone. And what's great is that oh, they I get it now. Yes, backbone. Broadway's backbone are the, oh. the, the kids in the kids in the chorus, as they say. Yeah. And but each interview just it talks about like, yes, it's great to make your Broadway debut and your Tony Awards and all that. But it also talks about all the boys talk about getting bullied and getting beat up. The girls talk about weight issues. And I mean, one boy, uh, his name's Michael Cusimano, is still to this day the youngest dancer to ever be in ABT. Talks about being, oh yeah. yeah, being beat up with an umbrella. And I mean, all the straight boys talk about being called gay and queer their whole lives and then now they're like yep and my, i hang out in a dressing room full of full of gay men and that's my life everyone talks about how their sexuality has has been a huge part of their career because the second you put on tights as a little boy you're done for you mean you're going to be bullied and people don't not shy away from talking about that and talking about having to leave the south where they grew up because they were were gay to go have a broadway career and then i have some uh, have one lesbian that talks about she's like i'm the only lesbian performer on Broadway. She's like, backstage, she's like, I can find a bunch on the crew. But I mean, it's very interesting. Ooh, bitch, uh, I can't. But so everyone I cannot. Really, everyone shady really facts, is girl. Totally shady facts. 
I've done uh, two podcasts on racism in theater. And oh, it was yeah. been, uh, it's great. I did it with Anne Harada and Alan Green. Unfortunately, I'm many times someone with white privilege and there's just stuff I don't know. And so able to have a clear conversation of like, why is it such a, a big deal to have a, a, a person of color in Carousel? Being able to have an open dialogue and for me, uh, as a white man, making mistake, trying to have that conversation. Right. It was such a good episode that I had to do a part two that came from two men of color who are from behind the table. Right. Talking about they do do their due diligence to try to expand it, to get the pros and cons. My favorite thing about it is that people don't shy away from telling the truth on my podcast. Right. And they should. Yeah, because I think they're not just talking about the good, the glory stuff. They're talking about eating disorders and sexual harassment. It's For me, it's exciting because there's a lot more to it than just kicking to your face. It's funny because growing up in the other side of the coin, doing the operatic stuff, mm. the casting, it was actually better for black people in the 60s to the 80s in opera, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, it's very it's very weird uh, than it is now. This uh, famous black opera singer named Shirley Verrett, she's on past. She said, I can't believe I'm saying this. I, just, I wish things would go back to the way they were. <laughs> <laughs> she literally said that. But I think sometimes, especially with, when it comes to race and stuff and casting, it should be about if the person can play the character, unless it's something that is so racially specific. I remember back in 1978, they did a production of, of Othello at the Met. Mm. James McCracken is a famous Canadian tenor, painted him black. Not blackface, painting him black as a character. Shirley Verrett, who is my color, painted completely white. Othello's black, and there's Demona's, is known for her milky white skin. So you got these two people of opposite race, completely painting like each other, singing. So the black woman is white, and the uh, white ministry. But it was about the voices and what they brought to the character and right. expanding the mind in that sense. Which is something now on Broadway I've seen not as much of because it's like people are just really casting, oh, this person will be this, this person will be that, this person will be that. Like, no, you can trust your audience to expand their imagination. I mean, I want you to know what you think about that. Just like when I saw Carousel with Audra and Shirley and all these people, they were just playing the characters of that time. I was like, oh, that's a black girl right there. Oh, that's a oh, that's a white girl doing that. Do you think it's the time we live in that people are so racially sensitive to things that it has to be this? Well, I think they, they are trying to fix a wrongdoing. I think that now they're saying when we do Evita, we need to have someone who is Hispanic. It doesn't matter. Because right. you can't ask someone's race when they're auditioning. So now what they're doing is uh, I had a friend who's uh, actually Filipino and they, they wanted him for Spanish role, but they couldn't ask him. So instead they're like, so do you speak Spanish? You know what I mean? So they're trying right. to figure out a way because they don't want to get in trouble. We're in a time where we're tired of, you know, putting yellow face if you're going to do flower drum song when there are plenty uh, yeah, you know, so I get that. So that's what they're kind of stopping. So they're trying to eradicate a wrong. But at the same time, people with white privilege are like, why are they taking away these roles for me? I mean, the soliloquy in Carousel is should not be sung by a, by a black man. And you're like, really, why not? But I think it's because it, we feel, I'm speaking in general, we do feel that you're taking away roles from us when for years we've been taking roles uh, yeah. from others. And so it's, but it's also, it's just, figuring out the right time by the people of color in theater asking for a bigger piece of the pie, which they deserve, right. does not mean that they're taking it away from us. This is just an example of uh, conversations that I have. I think even when you talked about the, the 10 things that uh, yeah. non-racist people say, I think that there is something where someone who really believes and they're trying to be open-minded, yeah. they don't have the vocabulary yet yeah. to discuss. They don't think they're racist and maybe they're not, but to, but. to say things like, I, I don't, 
I don't see color. I think to a person who is really trying to make a difference um, doesn't see how that's I think that a lot of people don't. uh, They they put racism and prejudice together. Mm. One, specifically racism, it doesn't mean you're prejudiced. Racism is something that's embedded in the culture, you know. Just racism and prejudice go together a lot of times. But someone can say something that's racist. I, I can say racist things to, to people, but that doesn't mean I'm prejudiced. It's, it's just it's a it's systematic in that sense, you know. You know, what would you want to say, something, Micah? Oh yeah, I mean, just adding on to like the point about some people don't understand like what the language means. I think it's almost kind of like when someone says you're hot for a black guy. Like oh. it's not, I mean, kind of the same idea, where it's like people <laughs> don't realize that that can come off as an insult. Um, and people like because like, like, like oh, but you're hot. But it's like but you don't have to have that qualifier, and like it's just like teaching people to understand like. The nuance of language. Right. Well, this is uh, this is going to sound totally ignorant, but when I saw Black Panther, I was so turned on. And then someone said to me, "They're like, oh, Brad, you have jungle fever." And I was like, "Is that? A, are you allowed to say that?" Like, oh my god, people still say that? I don't know. That wasn't like it was a great movie, but it was it was that is completely inappropriate to say unless it's in a joke and that's completely inappropriate to say because like I said, the qualifiers is like you're taking humanity away from people. Let's get back to Brad real quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um you have interviewed some guests, Hunty. I have so you've had Susan Strowman, you had Miss Cheetah Rivera. Yes. Yeah. So and Andy Blankenbuehler just recently. Who was your favorite guest? And who, without giving any names, you know, was the one you were looking at side eye? You can just, you can just be like, girl. You just give me a little different hints, you know. Who was your favorite guest? Uh, well, my you favorite think? guest would have to be Susan Stroman because uh, uh, she legendary choreographer. She choreographs all the musicals on Broadway. Yeah. So she is a legendary, legendary too. Yes, honey. yeah. And, uh, one of her big claims to fame was the the producers and Contact. I liked really talking to her because she was completely honest about um, herself and her career. And she gave me my Broadway debut and I worked with her for about 10 years straight. But we talked about the fact of, I was working with her during 9-11 and we were, she mm. was very honest about how still having to get to rehearsal and trying to see art as healing was very important during that time. Then she also talks about how the death of her husband and wow. um, how she it was hard to get out of bed, but knowing that she had artists depending on her. But then also talking about like she was the toast of the town for many years. And then all of a sudden the town turned on her yeah. and talking about that all of a sudden she couldn't do anything right when she had done so much. And so she's she doesn't shy away from talking about stuff like that. I mean, she's literally, I think, the premier female choreographer of oh, yes. Broadway. Yeah. Because before that, it was, you know, the uh, Michael Bennett's, uh, the Fosse's. Yeah. Like she actually has a style. I mean, that she's one of the, the, she literally is the only female choreographer I can name off the top right. of my head for that's huge on the same level as the people who came before her. Yeah. And she talks know. about, she was famous for a while for wearing a baseball hat with her. Yeah, yes, I remember her. And, she, and I always talked to her about that. And all of a sudden she was like, I did that so I looked masculine. She's like, I had to wow. hide my hair because I was in a room full of men and I needed to be taken seriously. She's like, uh, I wore, uh, had to, I wore like a zip up jacket so that my breasts were covered and I baseball hat because I had to compete with the boys. She's like, it's wonderful now that the women who are taking over yeah. theater can come in and all tarted up. And she's like, and I embrace that. She's like, I couldn't do that. I had to come across as an equal because they still saw uh, women as as less than. Yeah. Well, we have a couple of minutes here. So why don't you tell us where they can download your podcast? Because this is very, very fascinating. You know, I didn't understand what the backbone was. I've listened before, but I didn't know the backbone was about the ensemble, which makes me very, very happy. I've known Brad for a few years now. Um, we work together in the office and... He is amazing. So 
Oh. Amazing, 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 honey. Yes. Oh. I'm going to tell an embarrassing story of a brat here right quick, girl. Oh, before oh. We go. Oh. <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, girl. <laughs> but you never know. Well, tell them where they can download your podcast <laughs> and tell them everything they need to know. Your handle on Instagram, Facebook, yes. and everything. Well, it's uh, you can get it on iTunes or you can get it on SoundCloud or www.broadwaysbackbone.com. Or also, I have my personal website is bradbradleyofficial.com. It's also on Facebook. You can get it on all the little apps now. It's a, it's actually a little blue picture with the actual backbone about it. And everything is about the backbone. Even when I interviewed Cheetah Rivera and she talks about her relationship with the ensemble or Stephen Flaherty, who did Once on this Island and Ragtime, he talks about writing the music for the ensemble. So even when I get a lot of people, uh, these amazing people, it's still it's still centralized on the ensemble, which I think is it's important because they're the people in the background that without them, when you pick up Bernadette Peters and put her on your shoulder, there's the people under her that are shaking. So this is celebrating them because a lot of people who are training to do this are training to do that. That's amazing. Brett. Well, thank you for, you know, coming. Thank you for My making pleasure. me feel like I failed. Well, anyway, thank you so much, Brad. You guys check out the podcast. My you know, pleasure. And in the second half we have coming up, we're going to be speaking with Mr. Jimmy about everything that is going on with him and the Eighth Healthcare Foundation. So stay tuned. I could have danced all night I could have danced all night And still have back for more I could have spread my wings And done a, a thousand things I never, ever before I'll never know what made it so exciting but all at once my heart took flight I only know when she began to dance with Heart to fly. I 